Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. This morning, we are going to conclude our One Another series, and I want to turn our attention to a couple of these passages that are intended to challenge us, particularly as we consider the idea of the end. Not the end as Hollywood would have us consider, but the end as God would have us consider. We, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, understand something very important, that history is counting down. History is counting down. Now, we don't know how much time is on the clock. We don't know how much time we have left, but we do know that the clock is ticking down. Our calendars count up, don't they? This is the year 2022 AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. That's how our calendars count up. Next year's gonna be 2023. The next year's gonna be 2024. We know how it works, and it's gonna keep going until we're no longer counting But that's not the way that history actually works because history is working towards a final reckoning. When the Lord Jesus Christ shall return, we shall behold him, and there'll come a day where our calendars will no longer be relevant. Isn't that something? So much of what we do today, we live and breathe and die by the calendar. All of my educators in the room today know that the calendar has counted to a point to where tomorrow they all get to show back up in the classroom, at least here in Walker County. The calendar is telling them that. They know that in a few days, kids are going to show up in their classroom because the school published a calendar that gave them that information. But there is coming a day, ladies and gentlemen, when the calendar is no longer relevant. Now, we don't know the hour. We don't know the day. We don't know the time, but we can observe the seasons. The Lord has given us plenty of information in his word to be able to at least understand the times. And if you are paying attention, you probably find yourself like me wondering more and more if today could be the day. And at the very least, you probably find yourself looking at the world today and likely praying with the Apostle John at the end of the book of Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. And since we know that to be true, we know that history is counting down, we know that there is a clock that is known only in the mind of the Father, but it is a countdown clock, since we know that is true, and we know that even people who lived in biblical times recognize that they were living in those last days, how much more then are we? And how should the tenor of our relationships be defined based on our understanding of the times in which we live? This morning, I want us to start in Hebrews chapter 10, the same passage I shared with the kids just a few moments ago. We will begin here in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 23. If you're able, I would invite you to stand with me as we read these words. They'll be on the screen behind me from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing Near. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge of scripture. I thank you for the call upon us to encourage one another. 
I pray, Father, that we might be faithful to do so as we live in interesting times. God, we know that the day we live in today is closer than ever before. And so may that color our relationships, may that define our, our, our mission field, may that draw us into a deeper relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. I know that these verses in Hebrews chapter 10 are, are verses that are used like, by people like me <laughs> to convince people like you that you shouldn't skip church. I had a mentor one time who looked at a church and said, you guys are far better Christians than, than I am. And everybody said, well, you're the, you're the preacher. How in the world are, are we better Christians than you are? And, and he actually said, he said, you guys are here voluntarily. I'm paid to be here. And so we understand that. You guys are, are here voluntarily. In fact, some of you even paid to be here today. So, but we, we understand that we use these verses to beat people over the head and say, you need to come to church. You need to come to church. You need to come to church. And hear me correctly. That is not an improper application of the text that I've just read. But we find that as we dig into it a little bit more this morning, that this is more than just a, a, a Bible-thumping effort to say, you need to be in the church. You need to be in worship. It's more than just that. This passage cuts deeper than just the surface-level issue of whether you attend on Sundays or not. So this morning, I want us to dig in just a little bit deeper because church attendance is actually sandwiched between two of our commands here, these one another commands that we've been considering this entire month of July. And really, this entire passage is governed by the last phrase there in, in chapter 10 that I read, all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is that as the timeline of history counts down, these characteristics that we are talking about should become more evident within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is an inevitable. We understand that it is an inevitable fact of human history that it is coming to a close, that we are on a timeline that is drawing to an end. And as we get closer... These characteristics that are mentioned here should become even more evident within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, our passage begins by asking us to look into a mirror before we begin to look into a window. And so here we go. As our awareness of the day, the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, as our awareness of the day grows, our lives should be showing more fruit, not less fruit. Consider what's meant by that statement there in verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This is asking us to look into a mirror and look deeply into our hearts to define our spiritual devotion and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the expectation is that it should remain steadfast. You don't need much encouragement to go the other direction today, do you? You don't need a whole lot of people coming alongside of you saying, you know what, you don't have to go to church, you don't have to read your Bible, you don't have to do all that Christian thing. There, you don't need much encouragement to go the other way. We've seen in recent years more and more departures from the Christian faith from those who were once even considered leaders. And the media loves it when a pastor recants or when a worship leader recants or when an author says he's no longer a Christian. The media loves it when someone who was once a Christian stands up and says, you know what, I don't believe that Jesus thing anymore. And we see it over and over and over again. What they don't cover in the media is when somebody who didn't love Jesus begins to love Jesus. 
They don't show you that. But you find somebody who claimed at some point to be a Christian, to write a book, to sing a song. You find somebody who turns their back on Jesus. Man, the media will eat it up. But even if you don't go so far as to abandon the faith as some have, you know, it's much easier just fly under the radar, isn't it? It's much easier just to fly under the radar, don't make a scene, compromise where necessary. But that's really what's expected of us, right? As we leave our churches and we go into our places of employment, we go into the places of the secular world, you can be a Christian, just just don't mention it. You can go to church, just don't invite me. You can read your Bible, just don't let me see you do it. You can pray, just don't let me know that that's what you're doing. And that's how the world celebrates our Christian faith is you can be a Christian, but just don't let us know about it. Don't be public about it. Don't be proud of it. Just be a Christian and fly under the radar. But don't miss a very important verse there in verse 23. If you're an underliner, underline this word, that word confession. Now, again, we hear that word and we think this is where you go to the Catholic priest and tell him all your secrets. And, you know, he speaks through that little window and says, you know, go say your Hail Marys and everything's fine, right? That's what we hear about when we hear the word confession, but that's not what this word actually is. There's a reason that some translations render this word as the word profession rather than confession, because confession is not privately held belief. Confession is not a Sunday-only experience, Confession is the outward, consistent acknowledgement of one's convictions and beliefs. This afternoon, we got several young people who are going to be baptized in the lake. This is not just a dip in the lake. We're going to have a good time. We're going to laugh, and we're going to cry, and we're going to celebrate, and we are going to rejoice. But it's more than just a dip in the lake. It is a public confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To use that language, it is a very public confession of their hope. Why would you dare get baptized? Because I'm publicly confessing my hope in Jesus. Everyone who sees it says, that's such a strange thing to do. No, it is a public confession of one's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, the writer of Hebrews is saying is that as we grow, as we grow in the Lord, our confession of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot waver, even under the intense pressure from the outside to cool that confession down just a little. Again, be a Christian, just not bold about it. Be be, be a Christian, just don't advertise it. Cool it down just a little bit. But this is true for us, particularly as we see the day drawing near. Remember, our lives are counting down, not up. We are working towards a conclusion. We are not just adding to a story. There is an end in sight that is known in the mind of God. And as we work towards that end, our confession should become bolder and more, more obvious and more evident because the fruit in our life should be clear. But how is this possible? How can we stand under the scrutiny of a disbelieving society? How can these students possibly stand when they go off to college and they they face those who are diametrically opposed to their confession? How can you stand when your HR department is asking you to disregard or mask your Christian convictions? Well, the first answer is provided for us right there in verse 23. He is faithful. What does that mean? 
he is faithful. I'll tell you what it means. It means that he's not a moving target, okay? It means that that he's not hard to, to find. He's not hard to locate. His expectations are not difficult to discern. We so frequently stress about the handful of things that are unclear in the Bible. But the reality is this. A majority of the things we encounter on a daily basis when it comes to trying to discern what God's will is for us, what God would have us to do, what Jesus' expectations are, the majority of the things we encounter are not difficult at all to figure out. The expectation isn't hard. It's the execution that may be difficult. If your life is currently in upheaval, you need to understand something. Jesus hasn't moved. If your life is in transition and you don't know which way is up, you need to understand something that Jesus is exactly where you left him. He didn't go hide from you. He's not playing hard to get. He is exactly where you left him if you will look in that place. He has been faithful to you even when you haven't been faithful to him. He has kept his word to you even when you haven't kept your word to him. He has loved you even when your love for him has been fleeting. That's not all. In his wisdom... God has given us this great community to do this with that we call the church. And the writer of Hebrews goes on here to remind us that our churches should be places that are provoking spiritual maturity. It's really a a profound statement that we read in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We have an obligation to one another to provoke a particular kind of tenor within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to one another to cultivate this demeanor within the body of Christ. And it's important for us to understand something about the word choice here. When the writer of Hebrews says that we are to stir up, this is not a gentle word. This is not like you're at the stove and you know, you're, making a, you're making a dish and you're just stirring the pot you know, to make sure, you know, it it cooks correctly. That's not what this word means. In fact, this word stir up, the context of where the word shows up determines whether it is a positive word or a uh, an ugly word, not a curt, not a swear word, but does it have positive connotations or does it have negative connotations? If you went out there and, and there's a big old wasp nest hanging from the eave of your house and you went up with a broom handle and you went up there and you whacked it, you were stirring something up, right? You stirred it up. And, and if you were too close, you would say that was a very negative situation. In the Bible, it shows up like that. Sometimes it's, it's used in a negative sense, but the writer of Hebrews here is using it as an encouraging word. In the context of Hebrews chapter 10, it carries with it almost the sense of coaching. You guys have ever played sports before. You know what coaching is like. In just a few weeks, our, our rec field out here is going to be filled with the sound of, of, of kids playing ball, and it's going to be filled with the sound of coaches who are, who are coaching. And I've always, I've always found church sports to be interesting. Church sports are always interesting because, I'll tell you, I'm an excitable coach. I yell a lot. I do. I mean, not ugly, but I yell. I, get, I, I raise my voice. I mean, I, 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 it's this preacher in me. I have to raise my voice to get their attention. 
And I have found that most parents, most caveat, most parents are okay if you're raising your voice on the sidelines. Because I've looked around and i found that a lot of parents are doing what? Raising their voice on the sidelines. They're yelling at their kids too. My favorite is when the parent is telling the kids something different that the coach is telling them. And then I don't want to just yell at the kid, I want to yell at the parent too. <laughs> Come to a game on Saturday morning and you're going to hear me and a lot of other coaches yelling, pass the ball, shoot it, hurry. That's what you're going to hear. You know, we don't really do that for Sunday school, do we? If you heard them upstairs in kids' Sunday school, bring your Bibles. Bring a friend. Johnny, you better pray like your life depended on it. <laughs> it's funny right now, but if you heard it coming through the wall up there, you'd be like, what in the world are they doing? The Bible here is teaching us that in the church, this is something that should be being coached, that we should be coaching one another to love and good works. I'm not suggesting for a second that, that pass that offering plate. That's not what I'm suggesting. But there is a sense of, of we should be inspiring one another to better things because that's what a coach does. That's what a good coach does. A good coach inspires a young person, a, a player, to greater things. And they have to use whatever tools work to get through their player's thick skull. Um, we coach one another to love and good works, and it is the presence in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ where those love and good works create a very clear distinction for a watching world. The world needs to see it. Because the enemies of the cross today, ladies and gentlemen, are working overtime to paint a different picture and tell a different story. That's what's happening in the world today. The church, as of late, hasn't been cast in the most positive light. The church has been plagued by sex abuse scandals. The, the secular media has even used the most recent ruling from the Supreme Court on abortion to make the church look like an unkind, uncaring bunch of curmudgeons. Have you even seen how the, the, the enemies of the cross have attacked Christian pro-life pregnancy centers? I mean, let me tell you what happens at these pro-life pregnancy crisis, crisis pregnancy centers. A woman in crisis shows up. She might have had, we don't know where, where she got pregnant or what circumstances unfolded that led her to become pregnant, but she shows up at a Christian crisis pregnancy center. She doesn't know what to do. They're going to give her an ultrasound to help her meet her baby for the first time. They're going to counsel her. They're going to work with her. They're going to help her find truth of Scripture. They're going to help her, if she's abortion-minded, they're going to help her fall in love with that baby that's growing inside of her. And then they're going to provide her with diapers and formulas and ongoing care and counseling. They're going to provide her with resources so that she can take care of her baby. If she's, if she's willing to consider adoption, they're going to help her go down that road. These terrible, terrible Christians who, who are so awful are going to help this young lady meet the needs of her baby when it's born. That's the truth, but that's not what's being conveyed in the media today. The world sees our fighting, they see our apathy. Truth be told that we don't often do a very good job of showing the world what true faith in Jesus looks like. And we have an obligation to provoke one another, to coach one another, if you will, 
to true love and true good works. And here's the catch, though. You must be present to be a participant. This is a verse we're most familiar with, right? Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together as some habitually do. The writer of Hebrews, the church at Hebrews, uh, this, this church had a problem that was habitual. And sadly, this is a verse that we become very familiar with and we don't pay much attention to it anymore. But the members of this church in question, some of them had dropped out. It's believed that they may have dropped out because of persecution. They, they fled going to church because they feared the consequences of gathering. Again, I don't want to belabor this point, but I think it's important for us to be very honest here. There are a lot of able-bodied, professing Christians who have ditched the assembly of the saints gathered together. Again, I'm not talking about people who are dealing with health issues. I'm not even dealing with people who have work obligations or anything like that. But the reasons today are as varied as you can imagine. But I think the honest truth is this. Our churches have fewer people in them today than they did in February of 2020. The pandemic, oh, it's COVID, COVID did it. Understand this, the pandemic exacerbated a trend that was already underway. It was already happening. And again, my goal is not to offend this morning. My goal is to coach, and so receive it like being coached if that helps. But if your health or your job are not limiting factors, and you are only attending church once a month, and the other three or four Sundays you're pursuing other things, Hebrews 10, 25 calls that sin. And that's the honest to goodness truth. And I'm not trying to offend you, but I am alerting you to the fact that it is impossible, it is impractical for us as God's people to stir up love and good works with one another if we're not gathering with one another. We cannot do it if we are not coming together for fellowship and worship. That's the nature of fellowship. And I just can't help but think, the crazier this world gets, ladies, we're, ladies and gentlemen, we're on the crazy train. It's, it's, it's going bonkers. And it's only going to get worse. But the crazier this world gets, the more keenly aware I am of the fact that Jesus is returning. And that fact alone should mean that our churches should be fuller today than they were in February of 2020 because we're on a countdown clock, aren't we? Instead, that's not the case. The writer of Hebrews says this should be an encouragement to us. This talk about the end, it isn't intended to be a source of anxiety, but it should be a source of encouragement. This challenge to love and good works should not irritate you, it should encourage you. And the fact that your church wants you here, it shouldn't offend you, it should encourage you. But if we're put off by these things, that should actually serve as a signal that there's something amiss in your soul. There's something wrong. It's okay to have anxiety about the unknown, right? It's like that Kenny Chesney song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. I mean, it's okay to have that sort of anxiety about the unknown. We don't know what to expect. We don't know what's, what, what it looks like. But the truth is, and this is, I, I unashamedly tell you this, when Jesus comes back, it is going to be a glorious day. When Jesus comes back, Ladies and gentlemen, the promise of no more death, the promise of no more tears, 
the promise of no more sorrow, the promise of no more pain. And that is overwhelming. That is, that is almost withering to just stop and consider the magnitude of what that means. I, I love how Max Licato describes it in his book. He's got a great way with words. He says, there you are. The book is when Christ comes. He says, you're in your car driving home. Thoughts wander to the game you want to see or the meal you want to eat. When suddenly, a sound unlike anything you've ever heard fills the air. The sound is high above you. A, a trumpet, a choir, a choir of trumpets? You don't know, but you want to know. So you pull over, get out of your car, and look up. As you do, you see you aren't the only curious one. The roadside has become a parking lot. Car doors are open and people are staring at the sky. Shoppers are racing out of the grocery store. The Little League baseball game across the street has come to a halt. Players and parents are searching the clouds. And what they see, what you see, has never been seen before. As if the sky were a curtain, the drapes of the atmosphere part. A brilliant light spills onto the earth. There are no shadows, none. From whence came the light begins to tumble a river of colors, spiking crystals of ever hue, ever seen, and a million more never seen. Riding on the flow is an endless fleet of angels. They pass through the curtains one myriad at a time until they occupy every square inch of the sky, north, south, east, and west. Thousands of silvery wings rise and fall in unison, and over the sound of the trumpets you can hear the cherubim and the seraphim chanting, Holy, holy, holy. The final flank of angels is followed by 24 silver-bearded elders and a multitude of souls who join the angels in worship. Presently, the movement stops and the trumpets are silent, leaving only the triumphant triplet, holy, holy, holy. Between each word is a pause, with each word a profound reverence. You hear your voice join the chorus. You don't know why you say the words, but you know you must. And suddenly the heavens are quiet. All is quiet. The angels turn. You turn. The entire world turns. And there he is, Jesus. Through waves of light, you see the silhouetted figure of Christ the King he is atop a great stallion, and the stallion is atop a billowing cloud. He opens his mouth, and you are surrounded by his declaration, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The angels bow their heads. The elders remove their crowns. And before you is a figure so consuming, you know, instantly you know, nothing else matters. Forget stock markets and school reports, sales meetings and football games. Nothing is newsworthy. All that mattered matters no more. For Christ has come. 
That is what we have to look forward to. That is the day for which we long. But we must work while we wait. I had a mentor who challenged me one time that we shouldn't be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. While we wait for the kingdom, we work for the kingdom. We look to the skies, but we also have to look to the fields. Because while the skies may usher in the kingdom of God, the fields are still ripe for harvest. The skies will one day open up and we shall see Jesus. But while we are waiting for this glorious day, the fields are ripe and they are waiting for laborers. And the church is working daily to stir up, to provoke, to coach love and good works within. I have every confidence that Jesus is coming back. Amen? The Apostle Paul painted the picture so clearly for the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, For this we declare to you by a word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. And then what does Paul say? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. Because true encouragement leads to real action. Paul goes on in chapter 5. He tells the church to be sober, to put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain, obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. All of this tells us in no uncertain terms that our hearts, men and women, ought to be inclined towards heaven. We're counting down. There's a day coming. If you're in Christ, you have a glorious future promised to you, waiting for you in a time to come. You are guaranteed that. You have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It is as guaranteed as anything you can imagine. It is promised to you. You have a future in heaven that is secured for you, and that is good news. But while our hearts are inclined towards heaven, our hands must be put to the plow here today on earth. And it is within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that that work is provoked, that work is stirred up, that work is coached in the relationships that we have in Christ here. Each and every single one of us, whether we fill the pulpit or the podium in the Sunday school class, whether we work in the nursery, whether we coach a soccer team, whatever it is that we do, we do it with an eye towards heaven and an eye towards the fields for the glory of God, without excuse. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the wonderful promise of Scripture that we've talked about today. I thank you, God, for the glory that is waiting for us. But Lord, even as our eyes are cast towards heaven, may we also find our hearts longing for the fields in our own neighborhoods and communities. 
And God, may we as the church understand how important it is for us to be stirring up love and good works within our midst. That we would understand how important it is for us to make the gathering of the body a priority. That we would recognize your call upon our lives to hold steadfast to our confession without wavering because you, Lord, are faithful. And so God, I pray that in these moments as we are asked to, we're asked to respond, that for some the response may need to be today that they would give their life to Jesus, that they've heard the promise of heaven, they've heard the glorious truth that time is counting down. And Lord, we understand in this room, we don't know that we have five hours, five days, five weeks, five months, five years, five decades. We don't know. But we know that there is a clock, and it is not like our clocks today, and it is winding down. And there will be a generation for when that clock winds completely down, and they see Jesus breaking open the skies and calling his children home. There will be a generation who will be alive at the resurrection. And they will see the graves opened and they will see the saints rise and they will join them in the presence of Jesus forever and ever. And maybe that generation's alive today, maybe it's not. But for each and every single person, there is coming a day and that we don't get more chances. We don't get another opportunity to respond. So God, I pray that today, that as that promise has been laid out, that they would recognize their need to follow Jesus, and they would surrender their life to Christ today. For others, maybe the day-to-day -day grind of life has taken its toll on their faith, and today, more than anything, they just need to just check in. To just check in and say, Lord, what, what am I doing? What have I done? How have I gotten so distracted? How have I let other priorities interfere? And today, just to, just to check in, like going to the doctor, and God, that you would, through the Holy Spirit, diagnose the condition of their soul and prescribe for them the treatment. And so, Father, may we be a community of people who encourage one another and that our encouragement might grow more intense as that clock continues to count down. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, for the promises of Scripture that we hold on to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.